you guys as always. Today is a happy, sad day for me personally, perhaps many of you as well. We got the news last week, last Friday, that pastor, author, church planter in New York City, our man Tim Keller went on to his heavenly reward, and that guy is going to be hard to replace. I felt that one. We literally lost a giant. We lost a spiritual giant within the Christian community, and praying for the next person of God that will take uh, his place. Speaking of heaven, uh, June 4th, that Sunday, beginning that Sunday, I am going to bring to you all probably an eight, maybe 10-week series What does the Bible say about heaven, hell, and what happens when you die? I thought June 4th would be the perfect day to launch that because it'll probably be about 105 degrees outside. So when you walk outside, (laughs) immediate application for you, right? What does the Bible say about heaven, hell, and what happens when you die? I'm gonna ask you guys, if you would, please pray for myself some of the worship team, the tech team. I mentioned it a couple months ago that we've had this uh, this vision, this desire to bring services into the prisons. Remember me talking about that? I was asking you guys to pray about that. Pray for those opportunities, some things we're cooking behind the scenes. I'm very happy to say that this Friday, myself and some of the worship team, the tech uh, crew are going to be at Lewis Prison. Lewis Prison is the one when you're driving, you know, when you vacation in Gila Bend, 85. It's, it's Lewis Prison is right there out in the middle of nowhere. We're going to be uh, there. They asked us to, to host two services, two services this Friday, I think at 10 and 2. So really amazing, really amazing opportunity for this church, really amazing opportunity for this church. And continue to pray because ultimately my ultimate goal would be to establish the kind of relationship where they would trust us enough so that every single week they would actually live stream our services into the prison. That's the ultimate goal. So wouldn't it be fun for me to be able to say, hey, welcome Illuminate and those joining us at Lewis as well. I, you think God wants that? Uh Uh-huh, without a doubt, God wants that. So let's just keep praying and see what doors open. So if you got your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 10. You're gonna pick up where we left off last week. And Jesus is laying down some pretty gnarly stuff for his men because essentially he calls them to be his followers and to give witness, to give testimony. The things that you have heard me say, teach and do, Jesus says, now you go and instruct others. But he wants to prepare them. And this is what good leaders do. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so Jesus says, this is not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be very difficult. In verse 22, he explicitly says this, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. There's going to be some haters out there. You open your mouth, you begin talking, giving witness to me. You're going to be, there's going to, there's going to be opposition. Why? Well, because the message is somewhat offensive. Let's just be honest, especially to modern day sensibilities. Because the message is the God that created you cares about you and wants you to know that there's something wrong with you. In a three-letter word, sin, not a word we hear very often today, but if we're to be honest about it, we're all guilty 
of doing wrong. The core is self-centeredness, selfishness, and that's why the world is so jacked up. Because God is just, he can't turn a blind eye to all that. He has to deal with this. That's a big problem for you and me because to some degree, we all fall under that judgment. So he provides Jesus as the escape, as the way out. Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's just how serious God takes it. We take it pretty lightly, but in comparison to a holy and perfect God, it's a very serious thing. Jesus dies on the cross, taking our sin debt upon himself. You're in a dysfunctional relationship with the God who created you, but the dysfunction is all yours to own. Jesus takes your dysfunction upon himself. So God looks at you now through a different lens, forgiven, justified. So that's not a message that's gonna land well with everybody. You're gonna be hated. You're gonna be hated. So this is good because if the Christian community, if we, if we withdraw, if we pull back, anytime we face any kind of opposition, we will accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God because there will always be opposition. And the powers of this earth know that if they can oppose us and shut us down, then they're gonna throw it your way. So Jesus says, let me just forewarn you, you will be hated. But in sharing the message, it's actually the most loving thing you can do for those around you. And so many do not face any opposition. And I think the reason why is because they don't feel the burden. They're misjudging the reality. And the reality is this. If you believe that every human has a soul and that soul ends up in one of two places eternally, either in the presence of God, which in and of itself is a heavenly existence, or in the absence of God, which in and of itself is a hellish existence, then there is a sense of urgency. What would stop you from sharing that message? Well, fear the opinions of others. No. And so Jesus is gonna address those things. And he does so by giving you three very specific assurances. And he begins the conversation in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus says, if they, I'll describe who the they is in a second. If they have called the master of the house to be eligible, how much more will they malign those of his household? So. The word they represents the enemies of Jesus. So here's what was happening. When Jesus comes on the scene, he says, I'm the son of God. And I know this is gonna be hard for you to believe because there were actually other people coming on the scene saying, I'm the Messiah, everybody, I'm the son of God. Well, how do we know Jesus is the real one? Well, Jesus said, watch me. Watch what I do, watch my actions. And so the blind are given their sight. The lame walk, demon-possessed are healed. And so there's this crazy power that Jesus is throwing around. He's commanding nature, and nobody's seen anything like it. His enemies could not deny the fact that he had supernatural power. So what they did was they attributed it to the work of demons. That's why the master of the house Beelzebul, the word Beelzebul, that, that word literally means master of the house. So what they accuse Jesus of is, oh, he has the supernatural power because the powers of darkness are giving it to him. And that's why he can cast out demons because it's like he's casting out demons in the power of demons. So that's where his power comes from. So they deny that his power comes from God. And all along, Jesus says, if you don't understand who I am, if you don't believe who I am, just watch what I do. Watch the good that I do. 
Okay, that's kind of like the exclamation mark on what I say. But Jesus was so hated by some that, that, that they couldn't bring themselves to acknowledge who he really was. Uh, and so Jesus is summarizing the conversation by saying, when you face opposition, hey, that's evidence that you are on my team. You're on the right team. When it comes your way, expect it. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Drop down a few verses, verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, because that's the situation a Christian will find himself or herself in at some point. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. At some point in your Christian walk, if, you, if you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, it's gonna come your way. You're gonna be asked. You're gonna be in a situation, well, what do you believe? Who are you? Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. You deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. <clears throat> in other words, what he's saying is you really can't have it both ways, and you, you, you have to understand it. It makes sense. It makes sense to you. Imagine saying to your spouse, well, we're married, right, we're married, but I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> that's shady, you know what I'm saying? That's, some ske- that's a sketchy conversation if that, right? It happens sometimes, you ever been in that dating relationship? It's like, you know, the person you're dating is like, well, let's not tell anyone. And you're like, hold up. <laughs> what do you really think of me? <laughs> you, you don't want this relationship known? And this was Jesus like, what do you expect? You deny a relationship with me, what do you expect from me to communicate to the Father? Like I'm gonna lie about this to the Father, right? So what he, he's, not being, uh, he's not being harsh, he's being truthful and honest. This is the reality of human existence. You don't wanna have a relationship with me, then, then what, what am I supposed to do? Jesus isn't like the clingy, insecure boyfriend who just kind of hangs around because he has this desperate uh, desire to be needed. And so there's a fear. There's a very real fear that, that, that comes to us. I was getting my hair cut uh, last week. I know it doesn't show. I was getting my hair cut last week. <laughs> Whatever, just stop. Save it for YouTube comments. And the lady, very sweet lady, so what do you do? It always comes up, right? They always ask you, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. I planted a church. She said, God bless you. We had this great conversation. You know, every time I said, God bless you, she said, I received that blessing. She attends actually a church uh, in, down south for, that a friend of mine pastors. Yes, I said, no, I know Mike. Mike's a good friend of mine and great church. And we're having this great conversation. And then, you know, it's time for, for me to square it up and everything. And so hand her the credit card and, and um, God bless you, God bless you. Yeah. yeah, so glad to meet you and you know, happy to pray for your ministry and hand of the credit card. Would you like to add a tip? <laughs> of course I would, of course I would, you know. And I gave her a big fat tip. There are many circumstances in life when you step into, you never know, you just never know what's on the other side. I had no idea what her spiritual background was or any of that kind of thing. And 
And that's just a simple conversation, one that's easy for me to enter into, right? Because that's what you're thinking. That's easy for you. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Boom. We're off to the races. But there's something for you. As you'll see in a second, Jesus is about to tell you, find your rooftop. You all have one. And start shouting. My rooftop might be different than yours, but you have a rooftop from which you are called to shout. So there's a fear. And fear is a very powerful motivator. I think it's probably the most powerful motivator there is. And fear will keep you from stepping into all that God has for you. Not only in terms of building his kingdom, but the blessing that comes to you as well. Fear is a very, very real thing. That's why in verse 26, Jesus just says, so have no fear of them. We've said it many times, most often repeated command in the Bible is what? Do not fear. You'd think it would be love, serve, give. No, not even close. Do not fear. Why? Because it speaks to the reality of the human emotion and how strong it is. Do not fear. Do not fear. Now, most, most of our fears are irrational. I, I, I'm not, I don't like heights. I've said it before. If I was any taller, I would give myself vertigo. I'm 6'5". If I was another inch taller, I would, I would give myself vertical. I wouldn't be able to stand straight. I don't like heights. It would be irrational for me to think every time I climb a ladder, I'm going to die. That's, that's an irrational fear of heights. But for Jesus' followers, it was very rational for them to hear these words, don't fear, because they've already seen what's happened to their leader. And it's, it's not this extreme acceptance and he says, if you carry my message, it's coming your way. So they're already starting to feel it. Now, play it out to the end of their lives, and, and most of these guys will die the death of martyrs for Jesus' sake. They will endure torture, beatdowns, imprisonment, uh, mob-style crowds. Uh, they will have rocks thrown at them. And Jesus says, do not fear them. Well, we need, we need to understand why we can have that assurance. Do not fear them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. This is really interesting. This is the language of judgment. I'll explain in a second. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So, he says, here's your assurance. When you meet this opposition, know this. The opposition, their opinion doesn't matter. They are not the ultimate judge. Because nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Everything anyone has ever done. Any mistreatment that, might, that comes your way. God knows it all and sees it all. Theologians refer to it as the omniscience of God. Because God sees and knows it all, he is the perfect judge. It's like in human courts, we have to present evidence and persuade the jury, but God's like, no, I don't, I don't need any jury, okay? I can tell you exactly what happened. In fact, I can tell you what was going on inside that person's heart. The Bible says what's done in darkness, it's like it's done in the light to God. And he's the perfect judge, not only in the sense that he knows, but also because he distributes justice in its perfect measure. God is just, he has to bring some measure of punishment, otherwise he would be robbed of his justice. And so 
you don't want to serve a God that isn't just, that turns a blind eye to all that. And so the right amount comes in, just the right amount. Perfect, perfect judge. So man's opinion doesn't count. Don't let it control you. And so in light of this, John comes on the scene in 1 John chapter 2, and he says, you should actually live in light of this judgment, this justice of God. He says this, now little children, remain in him, remain in Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, because some will actually draw back from him in shame when he appears. This is an interesting verse. In other words, what he's saying is, when that moment arrives and you see Jesus face to face, what will it be like for you? Will it be this moment of, yes. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain Tim Keller was ushered into the presence of Jesus with the utmost confidence and expectancy. I had read that among his last words were, I'm ready to see Jesus. That's what you wanna be able to say. However, what John points out is there are some who might be like, eh, I'm not so sure. Why? Because of how they've lived. So it's kind of this idea that, hey, we're in this relationship together, but I haven't told anybody. But now Jesus is there. And now there's this moment, this full realization where it's like, oh, okay. Jesus is real. He is who he said he was. He called me for a higher purpose. And this is what I absorbed myself with on this earth. And now that he's here, there's this sense that there's, there isn't a second chance to go back and sort of relive the moment. So now you're hit with the fullness of this sense of maybe I didn't fully get it. Or maybe I, I did understand it, but I didn't give my life for it in that moment when you see Jesus face to face, the fullness of that realization comes into focus. And so this is actually meant to be an encouragement. John says, be confident. Be confident in that day. This is all about discipleship. Discipleship is faithfully and obediently following the commands of Jesus. So we don't need to justify our actions to other people when we follow God. We don't have to document every good, we don't have to take revenge. Even Jesus, you know, when he's in the garden, he's about to be arrested, one of his followers whips out the sword, and he's like, you know, trying to defend Jesus, and Jesus like, holster it. That's not how we play this out, because there is a day coming when all of this will be put right, and we're not gonna take people's hearts by force. We're gonna melt it with compassion and kindness. So God will deal perfectly with it all. You don't concern yourself with that. What you heard me say to you in private, make public. Shout it from the rooftops. Don't fear those who oppose you because they're not the ultimate judge. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You ever thought about that? If humans have a soul, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And the soul is eternal. The physical is not. Why would you fear what is physical? Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So this is interesting. This is like a second assurance. You know, it's, it's, um, the opposition has no control over your soul. That's, that's the assurance he's, he's giving you. And Jesus is using Old Testament language here 
that is often referred to as the fear of the Lord. So let me, let me just clear this up because there's a lot of misconceptions here. People don't rightly understand that what this means. The fear of the Lord does not describe abject fear, like you're, in, you're horrified by uh, who God is. That's not the kind of fear he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of fear that leads to a proper respect. Proper respect. I'll give you an example. If you've ever fired a gun, a firearm, a shotgun, or a rifle, you realize quickly the power that is in your hands. And you're gonna treat that weapon as it should be treated. You don't treat it lightly. You understand what it's capable of. There's a healthy fear and respect for it. Um, a few months ago, I went on Amazon and ordered what I was hoping would be the sharpest knife I could find. I like to smoke brisket. <laughs> BC days, I'm talking about before Christ, after Christ, now I'm smoking brisket. So here's the deal. I wanted this knife, super sharp knife, okay? Any smokers here? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Context. <laughs> so I, I read the reviews and I'm like, this knife is so sharp, it's like scary sharp, scary sharp, you know? I'm like, this is exactly what I want. Well, I get this thing. It should not be in my hands. When I'm trimming brisket, it's like very slow, but this thing just, just one swipe and it just opens it up. Right through that really tough, gnarly fat cap. Right through it. I've thought about buying those safety gloves, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that prevent, I haven't cut myself, don't worry yet, but I'm scared. Like I'm done using it and I'm literally like, I don't even like washing it. How do you wash something like that? You go to rub it with something, just slices it like it's nothing. There's a, there's a healthy fear that you have. It's a healthy fear. When my oldest son Chandler was just a little guy, just a little guy, he was always into sports. And then one day he came to us and he's like, hey, I wanna try out for Peter Pan in the school play. And you know, you wanna encourage him, but you know him. That's great, go for it. Hey, just the fact you would try is awesome, you know? So he tries out, he makes it. Peter Pan, he's Peter Pan. So he's super stoked, you know, he's memorizing his lines and everything, and he's working really hard on it. So the night of the performance, the, the school cafeteria is packed, standing room only. And he's cute, man. It's, Jill made him this little Peter Pan outfit, just the cutest thing ever. Well, about five minutes before the play starts, he comes running up to us. And his eyes are as big as saucers. And he says, mom and dad, he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. The show's about to start. Place is packed, standing room only. And my son's like, I can't do it. He's freaking out. Now, there are those moments in parenting when you just, you're like, oh, you want to remove anything that causes anxiety within the heart of your child. And so there's a part of you that's like, okay, you don't have to do it. But there are also these teachable moments 
And you realize in your own life that hardship does in fact build character. I can't do it, I can't do it. So mom and I looked at him gently, but sternly and said, you don't have a choice. Listen, Jan, look at me. You don't have a choice. You know the lines. You crushed it a million times at home. You can do this. I know you can do this. And you are gonna do it. So get back up there. He turned around and he went back up there. Principal said he was the best pan ever. <laughs> In college, he does improvisational stand-up comedy. Here's the principle. A greater fear drives out a lesser fear. Right? See, the, the, I don't know that you really, listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because this is really good, and some of you need to hear this, especially some of you that might be struggling with your parents right now. I don't know that you can really love someone until you tell them no. You understand what I'm saying? Until they do something that is actually not in their best interest and you know it. And you have to tell them no. No, if you continue to bail on every difficult situation, that's not in your best interest, son. That's a bad trajectory for you. No, you're getting back up there and you're doing it. That's love. It'd be much easier for me to say, let me just relieve myself of these weird feelings and we'll just walk out of here. You know, in 20 years, we'll never see these people again. Who cares about that? And see, that's actually what Jesus is saying. The opposition doesn't count. They're not there to judge you in the end. It doesn't matter. So don't fear the one that can destroy the body, but consider the one that can, can, that can destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, <clears throat> that's really heavy. Don't misplace your fear, that's why I titled Sermon on the title is, it's not, hey, don't have any fear. What Jesus is saying is don't misplace it. Keep it in the right, right place. Now, this is, these are some really heavy statements. And so what follows next is actually quite surprising. And what follows next there, there are verses many of you are familiar with because you love to quote them, but you had no idea that they were in the context of Jesus dropping some really heavy words about fear and fearing God. Because look at what follows. Jesus says, now let me tell you what he's doing here before I, I say it. He's, it's beautiful because he brings balance here. After bringing these heavy verses, he balances it with the compassion and care and kindness that God has towards his people. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Notice the language even, father, it's a term of endearment. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you better than you know yourself. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So this proper relationship with God is actually rooted in this confidence that God cares for us. That's why we trust him. We trust him. I think that God actually gives this special measure because um, one of the things that Jesus is saying is this. Um, don't allow the threat of death to stop you. Don't fear the one that can kill the body. So that's actually what he's saying. 
Don't let the fear of death control you or prevent you from spreading the message because um, there is there's a care and concern that God has for you that goes way beyond your everyday understanding, right? So it's like this. Two sparrows were worth one penny. Luke tells you you could get a deal, five sparrows for two pennies. Not one of them falls to the ground and that God doesn't notice. How many billions of birds are there? So I did a little research into what causes birds to die, primarily. It's really interesting. Birds don't live very long. But one of the primary killers of birds is they land on electric wires and, 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 and right, unintentionally they ground the electric wire and they die, they drop dead. Additionally, a lot of birds now are being killed by solar fields. Do you realize this? By solar fields because they mistake the solar panels for water. And so they dive down and all these birds are being killed uh, by solar panels. You know, it's a real problem. And Jesus is saying every, every bird that falls to the ground God actually notices. You are worth more than many, many sparrows. If God cares about them, do you not think he has compassion, kindness, and consideration for you? I love the term father because what that communicates is that God sees his children as just that his kids, his family members. There's this really cool picture of what I believe God does in the moment when a believer is facing the threat of death and even when death comes into his or her life as a result of being associated with Jesus. In Acts chapter seven, there's this man named Stephen. And there's this beautiful portrait of his death. And I think it gives us some insight. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, now when they, these are the religious zealots in the crowd, when they heard these things, this, is, this refers to Stephen gives this incredible sermon and he recounts the nation of Israel's history and how God would send them prophet after prophet after prophet and say, hey, will you turn back to me? It's a bad trajectory. You're all, you know, your, your lives are getting messed up. This isn't good for you. It's not good for the planet. It's not good for anybody. Turn back to me, follow my ways. And when the messenger was sent, the messenger was killed. The people were like, oh, we don't like you saying that. So they killed all these messengers. And then Stephen says, so finally, God sent the ultimate prophet. Like if you were to doubt God's care for you, he sends his son as prophet. And what happened? You all crucified him. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, that's a reference to Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And then they throw stones at him and kill him. So in his moment of, of martyrdom, Jesus is seen standing. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he's pictured as seating at, sitting at the right hand of God, right? But now, Jesus gets up from the seat and he stands as if to say, I see you, Stephen. 
I see you. And I'm ready for you. I'm here to welcome you. You have acknowledged me before men. I'm about to acknowledge you before the Father. I'm ready. I'm ready. Don't fear those whose opinion does not count. Don't fear those who can only simply destroy the body. When I first started taking my faith seriously, I was encouraged to uh, read Romans 8, 31 through 39 over and over and over again. And it just feeds your soul. Because what Paul explains is the depth of commitment that you will never experience in any other relationship here on earth. But it's yours from God. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? How do we know that God is for us? Well, he gave up the thing that was most precious to him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What human? What human is there to justify you? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Any charge that might be brought against you that would condemn you, Jesus is like, time out, this one's with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? A lot of things separate us in the world today. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This message, it lands much differently in, in a different cultural context. For example, you know, in India, just over the last couple of weeks, 20 something, I think it's 26 or 27 churches have been burned to the ground, Christian churches. All throughout India, there's a massive purge to remove all religions except for Hinduism right now. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christian, what is your rooftop? What is your rooftop? What is the position that God is calling you to take? My encouragement to you is, Step into it. So Father, this is a rich text once again because it reminds us of who you are and what you do for us and it keeps things in their proper perspective and place. And in it, Lord, we find ultimate motivation. And that is your glory, your glory. Because even as you judge, you will be glorified because you will be seen as righteous and just. So even in, in what is handed out is a revelation of who you are. God, until that day we see Jesus face to face, may, may we enter into that with the greatest of confidence that we wouldn't draw back in shame. Because in the end, there is only one opinion that matters. God, and that is yours. And we're grateful for that. It frees us up from from uh, the being, being mastered by so many things in this life, being ruled by them, being at the mercy and whim of, of fallen creatures 
That's a horrible way to live life. You free us from that, God, through Jesus, and we're thankful. So in the end, we want you to be known. We want your glory to be seen as we lift up Jesus because it's all, all because of him and what he's done for us. And it's in his name that we pray and God's people said, amen.